and welcome to episode number 113 of the Lions Podcast. My name is Matt Brown, joined each and every week by Brett Colson, where we go down all the big bets, all the big happenings, all the big news in the gaming industry. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google, where you can find us at the Lions US, at PlayPix US on the Twitter machine. Brett, we're going to talk about the major sports, what's going on there, look at a few odds and see if there's anything maybe we are interested in from there. Talk some golf. I have our first major in over a year. We're going to hit on best ball. There was a big announcement in the industry that DraftKings was getting involved in best ball. So we will talk some best ball as well and we'll wrap things up with another palp and what we think should be done about these things inside the industry. But Brett, let's kick things off here with the major sports and let's talk Major League Baseball. I mean, it is going. Um, there, I guess we can't say it's going off without a hitch because two teams have already been shut down. So, um, we're not going to say that it's going, going without a hitch, but it is going. And what we are seeing so far is, uh, you know, look, it's very early in the season. I'm not going to pat ourselves on the back here or anything, but a lot of the stuff we said that was going to play out is, uh, at least currently playing out. Is it? I feel like it's going the opposite way I was hoping for. Like the the Rays started four and one and had a complete meltdown. They got swept by the Orioles. Yeah, I mean, look, you're <laughs> talking about your personal bets here, but we're talking, but I'm talking about, hey, the Yankees were going to dominate. They are dominating. The Twins. That was your goal. The Twins were going to dominate. Yes. They are dominating. We're looking a little bit further down the list here now. I guess the one thing that is a little bit interesting is the fact, and again, very early and things can certainly shake out, but the Rockies are eight and two on the short season and actually ahead of the Los Angeles Dodgers there in the NL West, which was one of the deepest and steepest odds in all of the futures market was the Dodgers to win the NL West. Now, Again, lots can play out here, and the Rockies, are they going to continue with this ridiculous uh, pitching that they're getting? It's not that we really ever doubted that they were going to be able to score runs, Brett. I mean, it was just always the question mark of the pitching staff, and the Rockies have actually gotten really, really good pitching so far, and it has equaled a, a really nice record for them. Yeah, you don't think pitching when you think of the Colorado Rockies, but they're getting it so far this year, and obviously they're getting some uh, run production from some unusual suspects Matt Kemp the resurgence of Matt Kemp I know in the Rockies lineup that's it's it, that was supposed to be the most boring division like the, the Dodgers were right. supposed to run away with it and all of a sudden the Padres are right in the mix too that it might actually be a race I mean we are what 15 percent a little more done with the regular season and we, yeah. we've got we've got a race so far so that's a fun and- one to watch and and the team that everybody was saying could be the dark horse in that division, the Diamondbacks, are at the bottom. They're below the damn San Francisco Giants. They are sitting yeah, at three and eight stink. right now, and they are not good, not playing good. Uh, most of the bad teams, though, are bad and have been bad. We knew the Pirates were going to be bad. They are bad. We knew the Mariners were going to be bad. They are bad. We knew the Royals and the Tigers were going to be bad, and they're bad as well. So a lot of the stuff that we thought was going to play out, we thought the Red Sox would be bad. They're bad as well. So um, a lot of that played out to to kind of how we saw here. I think the only other surprise for me in the short season here, Brett, is the fact 
that we have this uh, central division where, I, you know, granted, there's been some screwy stuff go on with that central division, but yeah, the Brewers playing pretty terribly. They've had some games canceled as well because of things that have gone on. Then the Cardinals have only played five games because of their COVID outbreak. Then you got the Reds who are a game under 500 and then the Cubs at nine and two. And I don't think that either one of us thought the Cubs were going to be terrible, but I certainly thought that they were easily the third place team in this division, if not the fourth place team in this division. Yeah, same. I would have put them probably, yeah, probably at four. Honestly, I don't know what to make of this division. It's still so early, and you got two teams that have played. They're just behind in the schedule. The schedule itself is. I don't know what to make of it because the Miami Marlins are in first place in the NL East. They won three games. Like they're three and one. They like if they if they continue at this pace, they're going to win that division. There's just there's a lot yet to be determined because we don't I what are the what are the what are the odds what are, let's set odds for a champion actually being crowned this year is this going to happen <laughs> I am not incredibly confident I mean when we've seen basically now at this point how quickly it can blast through a locker room which is what has happened with yeah. the Marlins and the Cardinals it makes you think that it's probably going to happen with a few other teams throughout the course of the season so I don't know I mean if you believe these rumors that were coming out and you know look at some fairly reputable people who were putting these rumors out there or quote unquote sources that were putting this, you know, that they were getting reported from that they were the major league baseball has at had made contingency plans if the, to shut the league down if they had mm-hmm. to already. I mean, and so I don't know, man, it just seems, seems pretty interesting to me. I, I guess, you know, you, you, we knew the season was going to be wacky anyway, but now here it is like all these games getting canceled and shifted around and moved around and double headers are getting played. And Oh, by the way, double headers now are two seven inning games. And <laughs> like the, the rules are just kind of getting made up yeah. as they go here. Um, you know, I don't know. Do, do we get to a point where they just say like, okay, you know what? The, the top four teams are just going to play a playoffs and then we're just going to call this season a season. I, I don't know. I mean, I hope it, they don't do that. They're, they're open to, I mean, we've, we've seen this already. I mean, they're open to changing the rules as the season goes. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know. I, mean, I, I it, nothing would surprise me, I guess is what I'm saying at this point. Yeah, that's very true. Um, I just wonder what, what, what is it going to take for them to shut it down? Is it going to take one more team? Is it going to take two more teams? I, I just feel like it's, they, you know, they were preparing for players to get positive tests, but the outbreaks, I don't think anybody was, I don't like we, we knew it could happen, but I just, I, I just didn't really think of it being a possibility. And here we are like the actual like teams, the Marlins had 19 players test positive. Yeah. I, I just didn't, I guess I did just didn't think of that happening coming into the season, but here we are. And now I'm really nervous about NFL as well. We look here at the odds, uh, Dodgers plus 390, Yankees plus 390. So no change really there. The odds on favorites are still the odds on favorites, despite the fact, again, that the Dodgers are not running away with that division like the Yankees are theirs. Houston Astros at 11 to 1, Atlanta Braves 13 to 1, the Twins now at 15 to 1 to win the World Series, the Rays 17 to 1, 
And then from there, everybody else is 20 or longer. Uh, Brett, one of the bets that we were talking about, and uh, granted, we are a long, long, long way away from crowning anything, but talked about maybe throwing a flyer on Nelson Cruz for the American League MVP. His odds all the way down to 20 to 1 right now because Nelson Cruz, by the way, is hitting 400 and leading the league in RBIs. He's got a ton of runs scored already. He's hit three bombs as it is. We said Nelson Cruz in a weird season like this, a dude who just mashes the baseball could possibly just mash the baseball in a small sample size of 60 games. Now we're only 10 games in, but he is mashing the baseball. He is. So the question becomes, do they give it to a guy who does not play the field? That was kind of the, you know, that was the big question mark coming in still the question, but looking at these numbers, how do you not, he has to be the favorite right now. Looking at like right now, using these stats, he is the favorite to win. Now we don't know what's going to happen for the next, you know, fifty games, but he is off to a just an amazing start. So you got to be feeling pretty good about that ticket. Yeah, love holding that one. Love having that in the account. Now, if we're looking at the odds, Trout still the leader. This is where I swung and missed. Hey, I we will pat ourselves on the back oh. when we're right. We will also when we are wrong. The only thing we're right about that Trout was going to leave the team when he had his kid. What I didn't know is he's going to leave the team for twenty minutes whenever he had his kid. <laughs> he basically popped out and was like, "Okay, cool, the kid's alive. I'm out of here." Like I only missed only missed a couple of games, and he is still the odds-on favorite to to win the AL MVP here, and not missing near as many games as we thought, Brad, I guess the odds are about right. I mean, the guy comes back the first time in the batter's box after missing a couple of games to go see his kid. He hits a laser beam home run out of the park. I mean, Mike Trout is not that we ever doubted his skills, not that we ever doubted that he would act that he was, should be the favorite to win the MVP. It's just, we thought that maybe there weren't going to be enough at bats to get him there, but man, he uh he just dipped out for like half an hour and came back and uh, he's still sitting at, tw- at plus two hundred and fifty to win the uh, the MVP. Yeah, the rumors of him being gone for two weeks uh, did not come through. But even still, I, I, at this price, I just I can't I can't buy the guy winning MVP at this price. Be- in the short season, they're off to such a slow start. I like some of these other guys below him. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I'm 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 feeling real good about it. if Nelson Cruz can hit 400, try and not try and not give him the MVP. I don't care if he is a, a DH or not, right? I mean, like yeah. if he hits 400, try and, and keep that thing from him. Aaron Judge coming in at four to one. Francisco Lindor, Jose Ramirez are the next two after that, thirteen and eighteen to one, uh, respectively. So that is where we sit. Right there on the AL side of things, on the NL side of things, Jacob DeGrom is now the favorite. Uh, uh, oh, no, sorry, sorry, sorry. That was for the uh, Cy Young. Uh, Mookie Betts at seven and a half to one. Bellinger at eight to one. Christian Yelich still third here, Brett, at 12 to one. Christian Yelich, up until yesterday, had one hit on the season and was hitting .037, and he is still sitting at 12 to one to win the NL MVP. This is not to say he could go on a massive heater and and definitely turn things around, but it would take a really, really, really massive heater because, again, in such a short season, he dug himself such a hole that uh, no way at 12-1 to 1 are you getting me on, on Christian Yelich. No, no way. Uh, he uh, And, and I, I saw that one hit, too. It looked like a pop-up, and the wind took it out. So, I mean, he could be – I mean, he could have got started the season like 0 for 20. 
So yeah, that's not the way you want to start in a shortened season. So he's going to have a tough time coming back to get that award. Maybe um, looking down the board here, Javi, Javi Baez started off slow, didn't he? He's a plus 1300. Yeah, yeah I know. Interesting. It, it, there's not a lot that seems to make a ton of sense here in those kind of middle rounds. I mean, listen, uh, Bellinger at eight to one probably is about as good a bet as you can make at this point. I mean, like he's, he's playing solid. He's hitting the ball. Um, Mookie Betts actually was started off very, very cold. there for The Dodgers as well, uh, sitting at the odds on favor. So that's pretty interesting. NL Cy Young, Jacob deGrom. Again, he would have to get injured. I think for him not to win it again, <laughs> the guy is just every time he steps on the Hill, Brett, it's, it's, a, I mean, it really is. It's just His something stuff else. is better. Yeah. His stuff is better now than it was last year. He's hitting a hundred and then with movement, like it's ridiculous. I, I, I've never seen anything like this. And on the AL side of things, here's where the shakeup is. No longer is Garrett Cole, your favorite Shane Bieber coming in at plus two fifty on the AL side of things. Bieber has been historic in this start for the, for the Indians so far. That said, can he keep this up over another eight, nine starts, Brett? That's really what it's going to come down to. But all the way, uh, jumped ahead of Garrett Cole now. He's not the most consistent guy. He gives up a lot of hard contacts. So you know that game is coming where he gives up three, maybe four home runs. And that, maybe you want to get a bet on him after that happens. The price right now is just ridiculous. Like him being favored over Cole. As good as his start has been, and it has been unbelievable, I, I can't buy Shane Bieber plus 250. Whenever we take a look here, guys, at the NBA and the NHL, they are actually going on with their season. And so far, everything's going off without a hitch, unlike the uh, MLB. So, Brett, we're looking here at the NBA side of things. They got going in the bubble. They haven't had any positive tests. Everything's been rocking and rolling over there. On the NHL side of things, they've been rocking and rolling several thousand, tens of thousands of tests, I should actually say all coming up negative for these leagues. And so everything's going good with them. Has anything surprised you so far in the restart of the NBA and the NHL? Not really. I mean, it's, it's like uh, watching the NHL and NBA. It's like, uh, it's like watching. It's like living in different worlds, watching those two and then watching the MLB. When I watch MLB, I, I just get this sense that like, there might, this might not, there might be not be a conclusion to this. Like, why, what am I watching this for? Whereas where you've got NBA and NHL who have been done, you know, they're inside the bubble, they've done everything the right way. I'm into it. Like, I, I, I'm watching every game and like, they all have meaning. Like, there's, I, there are huge stakes with every game. MLB, I just don't get, I don't get that feeling. So really, really pleased with the decision by the NBA and NHL to play inside the bubble. I think, you know, we're, we're seeing the right way this should have been done. And baseball, baseball screwed this up. So. that's that's all i've got from that they did uh no change really in the odds here lakers bucks clippers all way out way out ahead of everybody else 250 250 and 310 respectively then you go raptors rockets and celtics uh raptors at 11 to 1 rockets at 14 to 1 and then the celtics at 20 to 1 the rockets i guess uh brett would be my only team that has has definitely impressed me so far of the games that I've watched. We're very, 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 we're in the infancy here of this bubble. Things could change, but you know, the, the Rockets have looked really impressive to me so far. And, you know, a lot of people like to hate on Russell Westbrook and the way that he plays the game and, and everything like that. But 
that guy is getting it done on both ends of the court. And I mean, uh, he, if he plays at this level with the way Harden shoots and the way that some of these other guys, ancillary players there on the Rockets can get going, they could at least, I think, put a scare in someone. That said, I do not think that they are an actual real threat. I agree. They remind me of the Ravens in the NFL this past year, kind of like changing the way basketball is played and teams are not prepared for it. They're, they're a matchup nightmare in a lot of ways for some of these teams. So I could, I could definitely see them sneaking up uh, and maybe upsetting the Lakers, possibly. Ooh. I think they're like the only team in the West that could really do that. Look at also you. interesting. The Raptors, the Raptors were twenty to one when they entered this the, the bubble. Now eleven to one because they won a like a meaningless game for the Lakers. They beat the Lakers and like the <laughs> Lakers didn't have to win that game. That, that's crazy to me that the Raptors are eleven to one right now. On the NHL side of things, if we're looking at uh, they, if you look right now over on DraftKings, you can just bet on the Western Conference winner, which is sitting at the Avalanche, and the Knights are the co-favorites at three to one. Blues and Stars come in after that. Blues at four uh, four twenty five, and the Stars at six fifty. On the NHL side of things, anything at all? I mean, again, we are only very, very shortly into this. I think we'll probably have a little bit better picture of what's of what we can expect from the NHL maybe in a week or so, would you say? Like at least kind of seeing how it plays out a little bit more? Yeah, we can take a deeper look into like when the 16 team playoffs are set. We can take a a closer look at it. But we know the Rangers are out. Uh, The Florida Panthers are playing the Islanders as we speak. Uh, The Panthers are on the verge of being knocked out as well. So um, yeah, we will know a lot more after this playing around is done. On the NFL and college football side of things, Brett, what the what the hell is going on? What's what is the plan here? Like with with these leagues, I mean, like we're we're sitting here talking about okay, Major League Baseball, they, they didn't have the best of plans, but at least they had a plan and went ahead with it. And we talked about how it's great in the NBA, great in the NHL so far, and we have really heard almost next to nothing, definitely out of college football and the NFL is really not much information has been shared either here. I am very worried about the college football season. I am I'm more worried about the NFL season than I was even a few weeks ago here. I mean, I just don't know what we're I don't know what we're trying to get done here with college football. It just seems to me UConn today, right before we start taping this, decided they are not going to play in the fall no matter what. Now, they're an independent, so it that doesn't really affect a conference or anything like that. But I just I can't believe we are so close to supposed real games here and there has been absolutely no anything shared as to how they are going to accomplish making a season happen i don't think college football is going to happen this year and i'm getting nervous about the nfl uh and i the players are too i just read this morning trey white the star cornerback for the bills is thinking about opting out because they don't know what's going on like the opt-out deadline is thursday and there's no plan for like what, what like the protocols for really anything. So I am extremely nervous about football uh, as as a whole this year. I I like. Do you think they're gonna try to to get college football? How how are they gonna do this, dude? So I don't want to be Mister Doom and Gloom here on the podcast, but like let's look at it this way: there are 30 teams of 30 players in Major League Baseball, and they couldn't get through a week 
without having an outbreak and having to cancel games and move games around and reschedule things and stuff like that. Now, there are over a hundred college football teams with over a hundred players on every team. Not only that, what is the incentive for the, some of these kids to not go and act like idiots, to not go to house parties and not whatever and things like that. I mean, if you're the fourth string guy and you're 18 years old and you think you can go to a house party and you might have a chance of getting lucky with a co-ed, try and stop them from going, Brett. Like they're going to go like, and then they're going to bring it back into the locker room and then the starters are going to get it. And there's going to be an outbreak. And like, at least in, at least in pro sports, the incentive is like, Hey, you're getting paid to do this. Like this is your actual job. It is your profession. So be a professional. And even with that, we saw, we've seen guys already mess this up. So imagine now three times as many players per team, three times as many teams. And you're going to try and tell me that this is going to go off and we're going to be able to get a season. I, I just, I don't want to be Debbie Downer. I obviously love, love, love college football. And it's like the, the, one of the greatest things in the world to me. I just cannot fathom how it is going to happen this fall. Nope. I'm, I'm with you. I don't think there will be a college football season. I, I guess I could see like the SEC just playing in conference to, to determine a conference champion, but I don't see it going beyond that. So yeah, not feeling great what about, about the that NFL? one. What about the NFL? I, th- man, I, I don't know. I, I think it's a favorite that we'll get a season done, but it's like the odds are, the odds are shortening. It's, I, I'm not feeling as good about it as I was because there's no plan. They got to figure this out. Yeah. I just don't, uh, I really wish they would just bubble it up, postpone the season for a month. Yeah. Get a, get a bubble situation in place. Uh, pick four cities. And and just, uh, you know, combine a couple of combine a couple of conferences. And that's just what we have to do for this NFL season, I think, to make it to make it happen. I just really, really, really hope that they do that. But, you know, again, we've heard absolutely nothing about that as we sit right now. Chiefs are your favorites over at DraftKings six to one Ravens six and a half to one Niners, Brett, 10 to one. The third favorite here. To win the Super Bowl, um, I don't think anybody needs to hear yet again that I'm bearish on this 49ers team, but uh, 10 to 1, they are they are bigger favorites than the Saints, the Cowboys, the even I mean, even the the, the Seahawks who could make some noise, stuff like that. I, yeah, I, I don't know, man, 10, 10 to 1 on the Niners. That's uh, that's interesting. Yeah, we talked about them last week. I'm feeling less confident in them than I was two months ago, for sure, uh, with the moves that the Seahawks made and the Debo injury and, and everything else. Um, but I still think they are one of the five best teams in the NFL. So, yeah, it'll be uh, it'll definitely be interesting here with the with the Chiefs at six to one. I think the odds are just not anywhere where I really want to be on them. But no. boy, you look at that team top to bottom and you do wonder you do wonder how they're going to struggle, right? Yeah. And there's like no turnover either. It's right. like the same team. So yeah, I can, I, I certainly understand why they are the betting favorites, but five to one is with us with a season with so much uncertainty, who knows what's going to happen with them in locker rooms and on, on rosters and like, who's going to get what. And I, it's hard for me to, to, to take that price on any team really. 
The St. Jude went down this week and Brett, we had a brutal week last week and we were, we owned up to it and we said, Hey, we got crushed last week. Well, guess what? We're back, baby. We are back. We hit the outright yet again with Justin Thomas. Now I, it's not really doing a victory lap when you pick one of the very (laughs) best golfers in the whole world to win. That being said, uh, a lot of the top tens and top twenties and the head to heads that we mentioned all got home. If you had any of the burger, the JT, the Ches Reeve, Xander, all those guys that we said we liked for, for twenties and tens, they all got home. We barely missed on the Billy Horschel by one stroke. He was a T 25 as opposed to a T 20. So we damn near swept when it came to all of our bets this week. And um, this past week, I should say, I was um, I'm feeling pretty good about how we kind of handicapped that St. Jude and I'm feeling pretty confident, I think, in the PGA as well. Yeah, unfortunately, like I said, I don't love the no cut events, so I didn't have a ton of action last week. I wish I had more because, yeah, I had a lot of Brooks. I had a lot of Ches Reeves, so it was a good week, but it could have been more profitable. I know you had a great week, though. Yeah, it's just a super fantastic week for me. Uh, Won all of my head to heads and also had thrown the head to heads into a parlay as well. And so nailed all of those, hit the outright, had every single uh, top top 20 and top 10 hit except for the Billy Horschel. So it was a monster week and hopefully we can ride that momentum here into the PGA championship guys. It is our first major in over a year, the TPC Harding Harding park in San Francisco, 7,250 yards, a par 70. So there's only going to be two par fives out there for these guys. Um, 95 of the top 100 players in the world, Brett are expected to tee it up on Thursday. So this is uh, a star-studded event, as are all the majors, and I think that there is some opportunity out there. I mean, Justin Thomas comes in, and we're, we're looking here at, you know, the sports books that are available at most places, so we're going to be looking and referring mostly to DraftKings and, and FanDuel, where most of you guys out there listening have the option to bet at one of these two books, and Brett, I mean, you take a look at this and at DraftKings, JT is all the way down to nine to one to win. You can still get him at 11 to one over at FanDuel if you wanted to go there. But holy mackerel. I mean, look, I love JT and I'm going to have top 20 and top 10 bets on him for sure. But dude, you nine to one in this field is just uh, I think that's a little too light for me. Yeah, recency bias is a real thing. This is where you have to weigh recent form versus the price being where it is. You have to pay a premium on Justin Thomas this week. I, I The theme for me is what you mentioned earlier. 95 of the top 100 golfers are in this field. We talk week after week about the amount of talent in golf right now. And yeah, the guys at the top are great. Rom, Thomas, the, the two most recent winners on tour, Rom and Thomas. But they, these guys don't, top five, top 10 every week. Like there's no dominant player in the, in the sport right now. And the gap between a ROM and a JT and the next tier really isn't that wide. Like I think these right. majors, I think these majors are gettable by guys who are in this tier just below the top young guys like Hovland and Morikawa, Abraham answer. Um, I think they could win this tournament. I think there are probably 40 guys who could win this week. The, 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 
the sport is so deep with young talent right now. And then you got the forgotten guys who have who have the pedigree in majors, but haven't played well since the restart or haven't played at all. Like an Adam Scott, who I'll talk about in a little bit, but I think I'm going below the top here, uh, below the top tier here, below Thomas, Kapka, DeChambeau, Rory, Rom, and finding some value in the second tier. Yeah, so uh, Brett just ran down your your odds on favorites there. As we said, at DraftKings, we're looking at Thomas, Kepka, DeChambeau, and Rory. That comes in at 9, 11, 15, and 15. Rom comes in at 15 as well. So those are kind of how you're seeing that break down. Like I said, you can get Thomas at 11 over at FanDuel. Kepka is right there at 11, Rory at 14, Rom at 15. If you want Bryson, you're going to want to head over to FanDuel where you get him at 16. Now, this next tier is where I kind of start my tickets, Brett, and I first and foremost was Xander Shoffley. I, I, you guys, I guess, can call me a Xander <laughs> fanboy here. You guys, if you listen every single week, this guy just prints money for me every week. And so I'm going to keep riding the train, man. Give me the top 20. Give me the top 10 on him. I'll probably have an outright at 18 to 1. Um, not for big money, but the thing I love about Xander is the consistency here from a top 20 and a top 10 bet standpoint. And this guy, Brett, is is one of those guys that whenever we look at a lot of these statistics that we really like to to weigh whenever we handicap these golf events, a lot of guys are like, oh, yeah, he's long, but he's uh, but he's inaccurate he there's some guys were like yeah he hits fairways but he's not all that long so uh, some guys are just really great with the irons and we're like oh this guy can't putt at all you look at Xander and he does everything well there's not like a hole that you point in his game and that's what I love about him when he steps on the course like yeah he's not winning a ton of tournaments but he is in the mix week after week after week after week and you bet these top 20s and top 10s on guys like that and especially in some head to heads as well. And you can print money. It's a good week to bet Xander too. He played really well last week, but he had that one hole that buried him. Yep. Um, he, he would have been right in contention. Yeah. He got, he finished sixth, which is great, but he would have been right in the mix if he didn't have that one clunker. He had a snowman on a par four and that kind of, I mean, that he put him back I and mean, he had to fight his way back from that. So not a lot of talk about Xander last week. You're going to get, I feel like you've got a little built in value because of that this week. He's just, he's so steady. I, I think he's as good a bet for like a top 20, top 10 as there is in the game right now. We talked about Bryson being that guy, but Bryson, Bryson has that ego that, yes. he, you know, he'll just, he'll just start blasting because he can. And he just, you know, he wants to prove that he can make a shot. You don't have that with Xander. Xander's just going to go out there and play like you're supposed to play. And yeah, he is as safe as there is for a top 20 or top 10 right now. Yeah, I got to admit, uh, as far as fades go, I'm with you. Like I am. It's, and this has absolutely nothing to do with the talent level. JT is just the price in this field. I, I you know, taking a nine to one or even an 11 to one for me as an outright is just not something I'm willing to do. Now, give me a top 20 on JT all day long. I would bet. I, well, I'm not going to say I would. I am. I bet a lot of money on him to to make top 20 this week. But, you know, I'm with you. I'm, I'm on the fade of, of JT, Brooks, Bryson, yeah. Rory, Rom, like all these guys. It's just uh, and especially Bryson here of recent and same with Rory. So, 
you know, we were singing Bryson's praises there for the longest. But as you mentioned, the last couple of weeks, it's like I'm not going to say he's like buying into his own hype or whatever, but like he is attacking these courses in this like new Bryson fashion in in times where he doesn't have to do it. And it is costing him big time. Like the risk reward is not there and he's going with the risk, even though there's absolutely no reward, even if he pulls off what he's trying to pull off. And so I think you're going to need to be in the fairway this, in this tournament. And I don't think Bryson's going to be doing a ton of that. And Rory's irons is I've never seen Rory hit irons worse than he's hitting irons right now. It's just all over the place, spraying those things left and right. And, um, you know, give me some of these other guys that, you know, the Xanders, the Cantlays, the Burgers uh, of the world that the Morikawas that really have just been kind of steady in every part of their game over a lot of these other guys. Yeah, the thing with Bryson is nobody comes in more prepared than he does. So if he if he comes out of the gate swinging the ball or swinging the club well and is in contention on day one, day two, I, I love him to win this tournament. But it's like it's bet it's win bet or bust for me. I can't bet the guy for a top 10 right now because he he starts getting into his own head mm-hmm. and complaining to rules officials and just, you know, going after shots that he he can't make. He just wants to prove that he can. So that's it's it's definitely risky to bet Bryson other than a win for me right now because I could totally see him winning this tournament, but he needs to he needs to have his head in the right place for the, all four days. I agree. Um, another guy that I've been on, I'm going to keep riding the the hot streak here. Daniel Berger, he just continues to be in the mix each and every single week, and I think that this course really plays well to his game. And uh, you take a look at what you got him right now. I mean, a top 10 is you're getting three to one on that for him. You're getting 30 to one on an outright. If you want to go with Berger, there has been some pretty good. um, You actually get 35 to one over at FanDuel on Berger. If you wanted to go there, Brett, there's been some pretty good evidence that a lot of times in these PGAs and a lot of times in these first majors of the year that guys who are kind of that are kind of hot tend to stay hot and have done well in uh, these first majors of the year and the PGAs and stuff. And, uh, uh, you know, Berger has won on the tour this year. It continues to be in the mix in most tournaments here. I really like the value on him. Uh, again, maybe maybe not a, a, an outright, you know, at 35 to one is not going to make you rich or anything like that. But again, if you want to grind here, top 20s, top 10s, head to heads, uh, really, really love Daniel Berger's game right now and how he is going about these tournaments. The guy even when he has a bad hole, Brett, I know you you watch as much golf as I do. He shakes it off. He's not one of those he guys does. that carries. He doesn't carry it with him to the next hole. And like he can double a hole and he'll come back and birdie the next hole because he just does not let that carry over to the next hole. Yeah, he's like the opposite of Bryson right now. I mean, he's right. got the shortest memory. Um, man, I need to get out of my own head when it comes to Daniel Berger. Like I'm looking at these odds. You just said he's a great value at 28 to one. And like, instinctively I can't look at this and say he's value versus a guy like Webb Simpson, who is the same price. Like how is Berger a value when, when Webb Simpson's right there, but Berger continues to do this week after week. He might just be an elite player. I need to make that adjustment. He's playing at an, at an elite level right now. So why, why wouldn't he be 28 to one, 30 to one, something like that. So yeah. And, and like I said, 35 over at FanDuel. So 35 I mean, to one, we, yeah. we say all the time to shop these futures and like, especially in these majors for these golf tournaments, I could not stress enough 
how much you want to how much you want to shop when it comes to all this stuff. I mean, another guy that we're going to talk about here in Tommy Fleetwood, who does not fit what we've been talking about with these other guys because he actually hasn't really played all that great as he's come over. But I think this is an opportunity for him, Brad. I mean, one of the best ball strikers out there, a guy that is extremely accurate the majority of the time. He's had a couple of tournaments to kind of get the, to shake the rust off and kind of get back his feet back up under him. But you look here, I mean, 40 to one on Fleetwood over at, over at FanDuel, but then 50 to one over at DraftKings. So, I mean, like you can see, like that's a lot of money guys that you're leaving on the table. If you bet at one place as opposed to the other. So these, these, uh, these outrights in these majors definitely, definitely shop the lines because there are going to be big time differences as the money is coming in in different spots at these different books. Yeah, and I like Tommy this week too. I like that he came back early to shake the rust off and he hasn't looked great in the two weeks back, but you're getting a better price now than you were two weeks ago. So I do like that part of it. You're probably getting the best price available for this event over the past several months. Can't imagine Fleetwood was any worse than 45, 50 to one at any book. So yeah, I'm I'm high on Fleetwood this week. I like him for a win, top five, top ten. I definitely think he could win this tournament. I do too. Uh, and uh, I know you have a couple of guys that you've been that you've been eyeing as well. And look, you know, we we joke on this podcast about guys who say, like, oh, that guy can't putt. I I think the way that this tournament is going to play out this week, maybe you can get away with not putting as well. Um, because I do believe this is going to be a fairways and greens tournament. If you're, if you're playing consistently from the rough where, where we've seen Bryson a lot recently, where we've seen, you know, a Mickelson a lot recently, where we've seen, uh, you know, when, when Rom starts spraying it, he's, you know, always out of the rough. These guys that just keep it in the fairways and hit greens might be able to just kind of grind along here. And you don't have to be like super birdie maker here this week to be in contention. And I know that you like Hideki because, uh, you know, we know he can't putt, but it might not matter this week. Yeah. The, the Hideki is another guy who just hasn't been playing well, but there are few better ball strikers than Hideki Matsuyama. And if the putter gets hot, he's won, he's won big tournaments before. Yeah. So another guy who you can get at a pretty good price right now versus the field. I think he's right up there in, in that like second tier of golfers and he's being overlooked this week. So he's one guy like another guy who kind of fall, falls into the, the Fleetwood mold this week because we haven't seen a whole lot of them is Adam Scott, who I mentioned earlier, Adam Scott is 75 to one to win this tournament at FanDuel. That is crazy to me. Like, let's not forget. Okay. So we haven't seen Adam Scott since he, since the shutdown of golf, but let's not mm-hmm. forget Scott. He took seven weeks off from golf earlier this year then went to Riviera in February and just won the Genesis Open. Like, he gets up when he's playing big tournaments. And his preparation for his return to competitive golf has been for this event this week. He's been in San Francisco getting ready. So I think everything lines up for Adam Scott if you want to bet him at this price. And his re- like, he's built for this. He, his results in major tournaments are exceptional. He got eighth in this tournament last year, seventh at the U.S. Open, 18th Masters. He got third in the PGA Championship two years ago. He, a guy shows up for big events and the fact that we haven't seen him since the restart only makes me like him more because the market market's totally forgotten how good he is in these spots. So give me Adam Scott 75 to one to win. I like him T20, T10, T5. I think there's value for all of these. 
uh, for, yeah, one of the best Tina Green guys in the world. Brett, what the hell do we you want to talk about needing to change our mindsets? You, you said that you've got to kind of change your mindset. I got to change my mindset on Jason Day. I mean, what, what do we do with Jason Day here? I mean, the guy just continues to go out for the last three weeks and and is in the mix like the guy's playing good golf. And I just, you know, I look at this and, you know, two years ago, three years ago, I'd have been like, oh, yeah, if Jason Day's playing like this, he's going to be towards the top of my list. And. I, all the injuries, all the withdrawals, all the things like that. I, I I need to come around to the fact that, okay, maybe Jason Day isn't always, it, it, he might never be 100% ever again, but is a 90%, is a 85% Jason Day still good enough to, to, to be in contention? Because that's what we've seen the last few weeks. All right. So I'm going the opposite way this week. I think Day is going to be very, he's already popular in betting markets. He's going to be very popular in like DFS as well. But Day has been playing well in very warm temperatures. A lot of the talk about the cold conditions, a lot of the talk about the weather in San Francisco this week has been about the cold conditions, especially in the morning waves. Like, we're not talking about freezing cold temperatures, but it's going to be like low to mid 50s when these guys tee off. And I'm a bit worried about some of these guys with nagging injuries who might not be able to get loose during these cold conditions, Tiger, Jason Day, Kevin Na, like we're, we're looking for the smallest edges here in gambling. And I do think this one matters some like J- Jason Day has been a monster in these 80 to 90 degree tournaments. And now he's going to be playing in 50s and 60s where he's going to be tight. I, I, I just I think this is a great week to fade day because of the way he's been playing. You can still get a pretty good price on him. People are betting him. I'm going the other way. I'm 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 on the fade Jason Day train this week. The last guy I do want to talk about, and we talked about it a little bit last week, and he, again, one stroke off the top twenty here. But Billy Horschel is another one of those dudes that keeps it in the fairway, uh, really good with the irons. If the putter is there for him, I could see him being in the mix this week. Um, outrights, and we talk about the shopping of the lines, Brett, this is one of the biggest outliers for me. And one of the reasons why I think that, you know, somebody put some money down over on DraftKings, So maybe they're sharper than we are or whatever it might be, but Billy Horschel to win 66 to one at DraftKings, You can get Billy Horschel to win at 110 to one over at FanDuel. So, so there is a gigantic discrepancy when it comes to, uh, when it, when it comes to outrights for a guy like Billy Horschel, who, again, um, I think this course, and I think what the winning score is going to take to, to win this week, I don't think is going to have to be lighting it up. I think, I think some of these steady, consistent dudes are going to be in the mix, these less sexy guys and, um, you know, 110 to one compared to 66 to one on Billy Horschel. Yeah, if you obviously shop around because 110 to 1 seems fine. The 66 to 1 is ridiculous because the guy ahead of him, Victor Hovland, yeah. who I actually I like Victor Hovland to win, you can get him at 60 to 1. So I, yeah, it, Horschel is 66, no, but I don't, I don't hate a top five, top 10. Like I can't see him yeah. winning, but I can see him being there on Sunday and maybe creeping up on, on Sunday. He seems to do that quite a bit. Horschel is just kind of creeping up on people on Sunday and landing in the top 20. The other uh, bit of advice here before we move on to our best ball preview here, guys, as far as I'm not, there's going to be different ones available depending on the book that you're at and things like that. But I can just let you know, 
I'm going to be very, very heavy on Justin Thomas in head-to-heads. I'm going to be very, very heavy on Xander Shoffley in head-to-heads. And I'm going to be very, very, uh, very heavy on Daniel Berger in head-to-heads. There's also, uh, depending on the matchup, I really like Morikawa as well in some of these head-to-heads. Just depends on who he's going to be matched up against. But uh, go through whatever book you bet at. Check out what head-to-heads they are offering, who's up against who. And, um, you know, there are going to be some pretty tempting ones out there. Burger versus Webb Simpson to me, where you're getting Burger as a dog, is uh, one of the biggest ones that I've been on that I've found out there. I think that that's something that you can take a look at and feel pretty confident in. And again, JT versus pretty much anyone. I'm going to take JT versus the world here. Really love the way this guy is playing. Really, really believe that, you know, Brett, he might not go back to back. He's not going to, you know, he might not win last week and win this week or something like that. But I think you and I both would be pretty, pretty amazed if he is at least not in, you know, the top 12, top 15-ish range uh, come Sunday. Yeah, he'll be there. I'd bet on that too. Yeah. So it, it's kind of like JT versus the world for me when it comes to all these head to heads. Uh, me and Brett were able to uh, film a video. If you, uh, if you have not subscribed to our YouTube channel, be sure and head over there and do that. If you want to see the video version of this, you can see just how ugly Brett and, our, Brett and I are on, uh, on camera. But uh, we were able to catch up with each other a little bit earlier. Run down the best ball season here, guys. This is a little bit of an extended preview here. So if, uh, if you're not into best ball, then uh, thanks for uh, listening to the podcast here. See you but, next week. Yeah. But, uh, but if you are, uh, an extended little preview here of kind of how we're attacking things. DraftKings has come out with a massive best ball tournament that is going to run this football season. And if you're not familiar with best ball, we give you kind of the rundown of how to play some basic strategies some players we're looking at players. We like more than others players. We dislike more than others and even some flyers and long shots and things like that. So uh, anyway, Brett and I talking a little best ball right here. What's up, guys? Matt Brown here for the lines.com playpicks.com with Brett Colson. We are going to run down Best Ball 2020, there is a massive new contest that has been announced over at DraftKings. There's a new site on the market in Underdog. Maybe you're playing just over at Fanball, which has been around for several years now. But wherever you're doing Best Ball, there's probably going to be some new eyeballs here, Brett, on this with DraftKings getting in to the market. You had to kind of seek out Best Ball before if you wanted to, but now DraftKings is going to make it up close and personal right in your face here. And so we wanted to give people kind of a breakdown of how this all works. Yeah, right in my face. They came out with a yeah. $3 million <laughs> contest, man. $20 buy-in, $1 million to first. Uh, best ball, I think this is going to help best ball explode a little bit. This contest mm-hmm. right here. DraftKings is the brand for fantasy sports. And uh, yeah, now we've got best ball right on DraftKings, right in your right in your hand. I got a, I got a draft going on right now that uh my first one the DraftKings so it's uh pretty exciting and yeah we're gonna get into it yeah it's great guys if you're new to best ball so basically your entire league is just the draft that is all there is to it there is no waiver wire there is no setting your lineup there is no agonizing over who you are going to put in that flex spot or any kind of anything like that you draft a very deep team a very deep bench 
and the best, whatever the roster construction is, whichever site you're playing at. Typically, we're, you know, let's just take DraftKings, for example. We're going to look at a quarterback, two running backs, three wide receivers, a tight end, and a flex. It will automatically insert your highest scoring player at those positions each and every week. You do not have to worry about your starting lineup at all. If you draft three different quarterbacks, it is going to put in your highest scoring quarterback into your quarterback spot, so on and so forth at the running back wide receiver tight end and the flex positions as well. So, Brett, it's a different type of league, a different type of fantasy football. And with that comes a, a different strategy as well, because when you're not able to hit a waiver wire or in traditional DFS, when you're not able to change your team out every single week, there is different thought processes and different strategies that go into this. Yeah, absolutely. Very different than your traditional like re, uh, redraft season long fantasy football, because mm-hmm. like you said, there is no waiver wire. You are building a team and then you're stuck with that team the whole way, which is kind of fun, too, because it's set it and forget it. And then you can focus on your season long teams and your DFS during the season mm-hmm. while also having the sweat of the best ball uh, that you did before the season. So a lot of different ways to, to get into fantasy football this season at DraftKings and underdog, which just launched uh, recently as well. So um, pretty exciting, man. It is. It is. And I'm, Going to be, uh, I'm going to be in there heavily. I know you're already in yes. there heavily and uh, it's going to be, it's going to be good times. Hopefully we can take down these big prizes that are going to go on at these two, two sites that we're playing at here. But let's talk about player allocation. So it is different guys. Again, you can't just, uh, you can't stream, right? Because there's, there's no picking up or dropping or anything, anything like that. So when you get to these positions, how do you want to go about it? Now, let's start at the quarterback position and Brett, basically for me, it's either two or three, and it really just depends on if you get one of the big two as to whether you only go two quarterbacks or whether you go three. If you can get a Mahomes and a Lamar, depending on how you go about wanting to build your team, I think you can get by with only taking two quarterbacks. Outside of those two guys, which, you know, those guys just put up such massive, massive totals each and every week. If you get outside of that, I think probably the safest way to go is three quarterbacks. There's been studies done. They've gone back and look at historical winners and teams that have cashed in these various best ball leagues. There's really isn't a big difference between taking two and three. But I think if you're new to the game and you're especially if you're risk averse here, um, Taking three just makes you feel a little bit better about your situation because if one of your quarterbacks does get hurt, if you've only got two, it can certainly uh, eliminate you from contention pretty quick. Definitely. I always, I mean, look, I always draft quarterbacks late anyway, uh, unless I somehow find myself with a Lamar Jackson or mm-hmm. Patrick Mahomes like later than they should be there. So I'm, I'm almost always drafting quarterback late. And yeah, the safe play is to go with three because you're not, not really spending any capital on quarterbacks if mm-hmm. they're going late and you can do some weird, th- the lack of position, the lack of position scarcity of quarterback allows you to get someone who's going to be playing every single week late in the draft. So that's, right. that's why I always go late at quarterback. You're going to get points from somebody at quarterback um, regardless of who it is, as long as they're not benched or uh, <laughs> right. on the injury report. But yeah, I mean, it, I, I almost always recommend going late at quarterback because you can get a guy who's going to score points and could have a spike week if he's up against a, a bad defense. And if you take a look, guys, I mean, from the quarterback position, I mean, this is when we talk about being able to get guys that are playing every single week late. I mean, if you look at kind of like the ADP of some of these guys, and again, 
think about it. It's a, it's a best ball scenario, right? So it's, it's going to automatically insert your best guy each and every week. So, you know, the ADP of a Daniel Jones is 116. That guy's not getting benched. Like they are going to play him each and every single week. Baker Mayfield, 127. Teddy Bridgewater, 167. You know, you look at these guys, Joe Burrow going, you know, 130s, 140s, stuff like that. Phillip Rivers going in the 160s. So, these are all guys that are going to play every single week, barring injury, right? I mean, they're not benching Joe Burrow. They are not benching Daniel Jones, Phillip Rivers, Teddy Bridgewater. They just paid these guys a bunch of money to come in and man these offenses. They are not benching these guys. So they're going to play every single week. So, Brett, if you have a combination of some of these guys or even three of these guys along the way, as you mentioned, like one of these guys is going to have a good week typically in, in any given week. Yeah, I have a lot of combinations of the guys that you just ran off. The Mm -hmm. Mayfields, the Rivers, the Teddy Bridgewaters, guys who are falling towards the bottom of drafts who you can get for the cheapest of the cheap. Mm -hmm. And you can kind of build, you can build up your skill position players early on and still get guys like a Mayfield who I think has a lot of upside this year coming back with a new off, new, you know, new system, uh, a lot of, the same guys coming back in that offense and he's coming in like way later in drafts than he was last year. So a good opportunity to maybe jump on him or, you know, Teddy Bridgewater who finds himself as the guy in Carolina and I'm probably going to be throwing a lot more football. So there, there is some definitely some value at quarterback late in the draft. At the running back position, I typically say minimum of four, maximum of six, and it really just depends on kind of how your lineup build starts to go. But I think the one thing you and I agree on wholeheartedly here is we try to get at least a couple of studs early because the as we've seen, guys, the way that this league is shifting, it is a passing league. And so the difference between these tier one running backs and the tier two running backs is so massive these days that if you hold off and you don't take a running back in kind of that top four, five, six rounds, which I know a lot of people are zero running back and whatever and things like that, but you, you don't take one of those guys in top six in the top six rounds, Brett, you're going to be praying every single week that, that something happens in your favor, as opposed to just knowing that you've got a pretty good baseline of what you're going to get at that running back position. Because once you get out of that top tier it is uh it's it's a, it's going to be a crapshoot. You're going to need yeah. an injury, you're going to need a change in kind of offensive strategy. Yeah, and you're far more likely to to get a spike week out of a wide receiver. So that's mm-hmm. why you should front load your team with running backs early in the draft. It's going to depend you know, the amount of players you have at each position is going to depend on the flow of the draft and what you take where. I mean, I I've had situations where I've taken Mike and Top Michael Thomas late in the first round because mm-hmm. I just I prefer him there over some of the running backs. Yeah. I think it's great value at the end of the first round. So then you don't have to look for darts at wide receiver late in the draft. You can use some picks to fill in running back, possible guys who could fill in at running back mm-hmm. uh, who could find themselves in a, in a starting position late in the season, late in the draft. So it's kind of, you kind of do the inverse of what you were doing if you had taken running backs early on. So it's, it really depends on yeah. what happens early in the draft. Uh, but for the most part, I would say front load with running backs and kind of fill fill the rest of the squad late with wide receivers who could uh, have a big week potential. That's absolutely the perfect lead in here for this where, you know, look, I'm typically taking eight to nine wide receivers. I think seven would be the minimum that I would recommend for you. And Brett just mentioned exactly the reason why, because this is where you're going to get 
a lot of bust weeks, but a lot of spike weeks as well. Like there, this is where you're really going to need to use the depth of your bench and get those guys that five times a year, six times a year, go for five catches and over a hundred yards, you know, and then the other weeks they're getting one for 10, you know, and like, that's fine because they're not going to be plugged into your lineup. Anyway, we're looking for those big spike weeks. We're looking for those guys that have the chance to go off in any given week here. And so I want to give myself as many chances as possible to get those. And so Brett, I have very, very, very few teams that don't have at least eight wide receivers. Yeah, same. Uh, I've got like 20 teams I'm working on right now, and most of them have between seven and nine. Like I said, the only uh, the only situations where I don't have that many is where I just decided to I do have some like not zero RB guy, uh, teams, but, you know, where I went heavy on wide receiver right. early because I like the value up there at the top. So I had like a Michael Thomas and a Juju and a DJ Moore. I'm that set. Said you're diversifying wide- too, right? I mean, like you're, exactly, you're, yeah. you're, you have a ton of teams. And so like, yeah. you don't want to just build the exact same team every single right. time. Exactly. So, yeah, I, I mean, so there, like if I have those three guys, I don't need to worry about wide receiver really. And then I can just kind of figure out what I want to do a running back and tight end uh, and fill those gaps. So yeah, you just kind of have to adjust on the fly. Um, and, you know, in these big contests, like you said, I, I really like to di- diversify what I'm doing, not do the same thing every time and kind of give myself more more bullets uh, mm-hmm. and a chance to win one of these big contests. At the tight end position, guys, this is really goes to how you go about building your team. If you get one of the big two, if you get a Kelsey or Kittle, I would say you could definitely get by with two tight ends because you are basically going to play Kelsey or Kittle nearly every single week outside of their bye week. I mean, it is going to be very rare that you don't play those guys uh, getting in inserted into your lineup. Now, once you get outside of that, I would probably say go three because tight end is just so incredibly volatile that you're really going to need to kind of throw some darts and hope that one of your darts actually hit. So, uh, Brett, I don't know how you have really been uh, – Uh, constructing lineups here. I have a lot where I'm starting running back and Kittle or running back and Kelsey because um, I see the value in those guys just being so high above a a lot of the other guys out there at that position that I think it gives you a a nice little edge, you know, and if I don't do that, you're going to find me just waiting and I'll take three and I just, I will hope one of the three each week kind of hits for me is, is really the strategy at tight end for me. Yeah, what I found so far is if you're sitting in the middle of the first round, you take a running back. When it comes back to you in the second round, there, there might not be a top-tier running back left. And then mm-hmm. you're left with either one of the top two tight ends or a wide receiver. And in that case, yeah, I would prefer to take the tight end because you're getting the elite of the elite, the guys who can't miss unless they get hurt, is Kelsey and Kittle. And you don't have to worry about tight end anymore. Like you're, mm-hmm. you're pretty much set. You want to back up, obviously somebody doesn't have the same bye week as one of those guys, which we'll get into later. But yeah, I, I love, I love having one of those tight ends because it's you're, you're the position set. You can focus yeah. your efforts on running back and wide receiver. On the stacking side of things, if you guys play traditional DFS, you understand how stacking works probably by now. At first it was this new it was kind of this newfangled strategy and people who figured it out were absolutely crushing the mm-hmm. game. Now, everybody knows about stacking when it comes to football specifically, it would be a quarterback and a pass catcher. Now we've kind of gotten some, uh, some evidence here that, Hey, 
an, if an offense is going off, everybody's going off. So there's even very good correlation between these pass catching running backs and wide receivers and tight ends and quarterbacks and things like that. And Brett, I think we carry this over into these big tournaments over in best ball. Now it's a little bit different if you're playing smaller, if you're just playing like the, the contained kind of best ball leagues here, but if you're trying to go and do these big tournaments where you're going to go after the million dollars on DraftKings or something, we consistently want to maximize our upside. And that's the reason we do it in the GPPs in traditional DFS. And I think that that applies here as well. We're trying to maximize upside. And so if I have, let's, you know, we, we, let's talk about Teddy Bridgewater. You know, if I have Teddy Bridgewater, if, if I'm lucky enough to get the one, the one overall pick, if I can get Christian McCaffrey, and I can get Teddy Bridgewater and I can get DJ Moore, mm-hmm. then I'm going to do that. And like, I'm going to do that as often as I possibly can and, and hope that that pays dividends here uh, whenever these guys have big games and whenever the, the Panthers actually put some points on the board. So um, I like stacking. I think it's a very viable strategy here and I would certainly recommend it where applicable. Like don't, don't go crazy, you know, with your draft because you feel like you have to have to have to do it. But if you can go in with some sort of strategy, I would say that, hey, there's a decent strategy in stacking. Yeah, don't stack the entire Jets offense. Right. Because you're not you're not going to advance through the first 12 weeks if you do yeah. that. Chances are. Um, but definitely upside in doing it because once you get through the first 12 rounds, it almost plays like a DFS GPP where you're looking for the max upside. You have to be more people. All the money is at the top. You're looking to get the highest score possible. And if one of these teams goes off like the Carolina Panthers and you have Christian McCaffrey and Teddy Bridgewater and DJ Moore, Curtis Samuel, Mm -hmm. you're going to be one of the few teams that have all those guys. And that's going to help you win one of these tournaments. And we've seen it the past couple of years in these big best cup, best ball contests, the, the teams that finish at the top, they stack. So yeah. um, it is a proven winning strategy and it's something that I've been doing a lot this year. And I know you have too. Yeah. We mentioned the the Panthers. It is one of my favorite ones because it's actually doable. If you, uh, you know, yeah. you need the, you need the one overall pick if you're going to get McCaffrey, but you can definitely stack Bridgewater with pass catchers. That's easy to pull off. Another one that I've been able to pull off a lot is the lions. I've been able mm-hmm. to get, Stafford and either Galladay and Jones or or Jones or both. Sometimes I'll, I'll go ahead and take Galladay and Jones as well. That's another easy stack to pull off. It's going to be real hard to pull off a stack with the Chiefs because Mahomes comes at such a premium. Kelsey comes at such a premium. Tyreek Hill comes at such a premium. It's going to be very, very hard to pull off a stack with that team. But you can stack with some of these other teams that, you know, it doesn't seem quite as sexy, Brett, but it it we just need those weeks. We just need those spike weeks from these offenses. Yeah. The chiefs one is I've seen, I've seen several people do the chiefs one. You can do it with the 12, 13 or the 11, 14 mm-hmm. grab like Hill and Kelsey or Edwards, Edwards, Kelsey, and then get Mahomes in the third round. Like that's doable. And there's a lot of upside there, but you, I, I don't know. I, it's, it's hard for me to do that because I feel like you're reaching on a Hill or Kelsey. Yeah. 
that I don't, that early. I, I don't know. It, I, it could it could definitely work. I also see a lot of people doing it, so I don't want to get in the habit of like chasing uh, and trying to separate myself with the chief stacks. But um, yeah, I have seen a lot of that one. I, but I'm with you. I mean, the Lions is a fun one. You can work in like a DeAndre Swift. You can still get mm-hmm. pretty late into that one as well. Hawkinson, you can get pretty good value on a guy who has such a high pedigree. Um, and we'll, the Colts, <laughs> the Colts, we'll talk about because yep. uh, that is my favorite one. The Browns, yeah, I like the- a lot too. Yeah, huge, huge fan of that Colts offense as well. Now, one of the strategies in season long is handcuffing a running back. And that is, you know, obviously because with the way this works, if you spend such high draft capital, especially if you're playing in kind of, you know, a higher stakes league or whatever it might be, there are people who don't want to be up a creek if their stud guy goes down. I do it sometimes. I don't do it other times. Uh, we're not here to debate whether you want to, to do that in season long. Let's talk about it here, though, from a best ball standpoint. What if people like to handcuff? What if they're handcuffers? They love to do it. What is your, What do you think about doing it in these best ball tournaments? In the big tournaments, you got to get away from it. You got to wean yourself off it. You need mm-hmm every single player on your roster to have the ability to contribute. If you're stacking a running back with his handcuff, for example, Delvin Cook, Alexander Madison, Madison isn't, he's, he's cheap, but he's not super cheap. Like you're going to have to, he's going around ADP. I don't know, right around a hundred. If you're spending that much capital on a guy, you need him to be able to contribute. If given the opportunity and you don't know that he's going to get the opportunity. If you have cook and Madison, only one of them is going to be contributing. So you're wasting a pick on either cook or Madison there. So really I I like getting Madison. If you don't have cook way more than handcuffing, because then you have the opportunity to have Madison in addition to your already starting running backs. And then you've just got a beastly running back core. So that, yeah, I, I have not been handcuffing at all unless I can get like really good value on somebody late, but even still like maybe like maybe a Henry Darrington Evans type thing. But other than that, I just don't see any value in it. Things that you're going to want to pay attention to guys, as you're doing this, if you're new to best ball, and even if you're not, it's just a good reminder. First and foremost, stick players in your queue. The way that these things work, if you're doing a slow draft, I mean, like you'll take a pick and you might not make a pick for a long time. Life gets in the way. You travel, you're at work, you're at a restaurant, you don't have cell service, whatever it might be. And then you find yourself in a situation where the, where the computer just makes an auto pick for you. And, and Brett, you know, what happens is as the guys start ticking off, the less desirable guys keep going higher and higher and higher and getting stuck at the top of those pre-ranked rankings there. And so you end up getting a guy that's hurt or a guy that you don't want or a guy that at a position that you've already filled, whatever it might be. So a very, very simple thing that you can do to help yourself just be better at this is just sticking guys in your queue. You see it happen every year. Guys, Draft players they don't want because they their internet went out or they mm-hmm. had to go take their dog out for two minutes or whatever whatever it was. If you stick guys that you want in your queue, that you, they'll automatically get drafted when it's on you. And so that's I mean it's the most basic advice we can give, but we still see it happen every single year, time um, and time again. Yeah, time so what, time again. whether you're doing when you're in a fast draft or a slow draft, always have guys in your queue just in case something happens where you miss your pick you're not drafting i I don't even know you're drafting like debo samuel early before he got hurt that his adp you're getting that 
versus what it is now. So that's that's not an area you want to find yourself in. The other thing here is taking a look at ADP, taking a look at the pre-draft ranking system that is going on on the sites and where they have the players located and things like that, because Brett, there's edges to be found there as well. Like we said, if there's a player that you are really into that you want to be overweight on, you need to kind of know what the ADP is of that guy, what the pre-ranking is, because he might not be there for you when it comes back around to your turn. And you might have to just go ahead and take him if it's a guy that you're really adamant about getting on your team. And then further, if there's a guy that you're looking at and you can see like, oh, wow, there's some real value here. This guy is slipping to X, Y, Z round or whatever it might be. And you can kind of at least target in the future, that guy kind of in that realm, in that area of, of the, of the draft. And so just, you know, paying attention to those different things can certainly give you again, an edge on the rest of these people. Cause guys, DraftKings starting this starting best ball, there's going to be a lot of people who've never played best ball before ever in these tournaments here. So it, the, even the slightest edge you can have is actually going to be a much bigger edge. Yeah, and this is also DraftKings' first run of best ball. And I, I was looking through the, the best ball rank, the pre-draft rankings last night. They've got Clyde Edwards-Hilaire at 39th. And that's how they order the list. Ooh. So, I mean, he he's like he's going ADP 11. So people are figuring it out like he's mm-hmm. down the list farther. But you're still going to have people who don't even see him on the list until they get uh, down into the late 30s, early 40s. So until Ooh. that's adjusted, you might be able to get some value on Clyde Edwards Hilaire right now, maybe even in the second round, because he's not he's below the fold as it currently stands. And another thing that seems like a seems like a no brainer, but again, you can just you can get caught up in the draft, you can get caught up in certain players, and you think that there's like, oh, okay, I'm definitely going to go after this guy. You really do need to look at bye weeks, though. I have, uh, I'm I'm guilty of it. I'm not going to sit here and try to say I'm perfect. I have gotten done at the end of a draft and looked over and gone, oh my god, yeah. I have seven guys on the same bye week yeah. or whatever, you know. And it's like so you do at least need to be somewhat cognizant of bye weeks because you can you can kind of get in the flow of a draft, Brett, and then you look over and go, oh man, I botched this thing. This is the one. The one really the main reason I do slow drafts versus the Mm -hmm. fast drafts, because that's the thing. If you don't pay attention during the draft, you're totally screwed. If you have seven, eight guys with the same bye week and you're getting zero points from your tight end and quarterback (laughs) position, you're you're screwed that week. You you, like you're just not going to score any points. So you have to be cognizant of the players you're drafting and when they have bye weeks. Um, it, I will, it I will sounds say though, funny, but it happens. No, it it's does a, happen. It happened to me last yeah. year. I had, yeah. I had again, you know, I had three tight ends. They all the same bye week. Like it, it's, it's so stupid. They're going to be fine the rest of the, you know, the rest of the weeks, but yeah, you have to score points every single week. I will say though, there is a little strategy that I've been doing and that's drafting Drafting some of the high-end guys who have the same bye mm-hmm. week, just because I think people are going to avoid drafting guys who have the same, like, bye week six at the top. Right. Just, so, just to give me a little exposure to, to guys who have the same bye week so that if I advanced past the first round, I have that combination that isn't as popular as right. it probably should be. So, I mean, just little things to kind of give me a little variation uh, that other people might not have. Yeah, that's a little bit of game theory and yeah. certainly something that I think that people should uh, should should employ. If you're going to have multiple teams, like, and, you know, I would highly recommend having multiple teams, giving yourself as many opportunities as possible. Uh, diversifying is certainly uh, a way to go as mm-hmm. well. Now, 
let's get into some of these players here, Brett. This is what people are going to say. Like, okay, I know how to play now. I know some basic strategy. Now, who the hell should I be drafting? So, uh, you know, let's take a look at these. You mentioned, uh, you just mentioned Clyde and a guy that I was drafting ahead of most people, even when uh, he was not necessarily guaranteed the starting role. Now that he is guaranteed the starting role, I like him a little bit less because he is going off the board much higher. I still think the upside here for Clyde could be top five, maybe top three even on the highest high-powered scoring offense in the league. But uh, I know you're a little bit uncomfortable with where he's going right now. I am just because of the the reaction, like the immediately the immediate reaction of people after Damian Williams opts out. They're like, oh my God, Clyde Edwards Hilaire. And then he immediately he just jumps up the top of draft boards. Mm-hmm. I I can't I can't pay that kind of price on Clyde Edwards Hilaire. I would right. much rather have a Zeke, a Camara, even like even like a Joe Mixon, Miles Sanders, I think I would rather have just because I haven't seen Clyde Edwards Hilaire right. and what his role is going to look like. So I'm not I'm not quite comfortable drafting him ahead of those guys yet, but I I get it. He has that upside, like a top three running back. So, um, yeah, the hype is real. I think we kind of tipped our hand at the beginning here, but uh, we're real high on the big two tight ends, and we're probably liking them a little bit better than most, at least liking them better than most as a strategy because the edge you get on the field in getting a Kittle and Kelsey at that particular position, because tight end is literally, it is like here. And then the guy's just a huge, huge drop off from that point. Um, we're a little bit bigger on those two tight ends. And I honestly think it is a super, super sound strategy. Again, injury, uh, injury could derail your whole, your whole strategy here. But uh, if these guys stay healthy, I really love having one of those two guys in my lineup. Yeah, I mean, I I always try to find the next Travis Kelsey. I think there are a couple of guys who have that potential, but still, I mean, that's there's a lot of risk in that, and I don't want to reach for a guy like a Mike Gazicki uh, mm-hmm. or T.J. Hawkinson, hoping that they become Kelsey when they're just gonna put up duds at for you week after week. So yeah, th- there's there's really like no safer play than a Kelsey in best ball because yeah. he's gonna be your scorer every single week at that position. Love, love, love that strategy. Now, you are going to see a theme here moving forward with some Colts love. And uh, this is, I, I'm not ashamed by it at all here, Brett. And I know you are not either. T.Y. Hilton, I take T.Y. Hilton earlier than everybody, basically. I have a ton of exposure Same. to T.Y. Hilton. And frankly, I just like this Colts offense. I like Phillip Rivers being at quarterback here, an obvious upgrade at the position from this last season. T.Y. Hilton still very productive, even with that shaky quarterback situation. And the one thing we do know, if you've watched Phillip Rivers over the last five years play football, he just will huck the ball down the field. And that is where T.Y. Hilton comes into play here. They got him some other weapons on that offense so that T.Y. Hilton isn't going to see tons of double teams. It isn't going to be the only sole focus of that offense as well. So love, love, love T.Y. Hilton. So the the Colts offense is a little muddled. Like we don't know what the running back position is going to look like yet. Outside of T.Y., we don't know what the wide receiver position is going to look like yet. We don't know what the tight end position is going to look like yet. yet. The good thing about that is all these guys are free right now mm-hmm. so you can if you're playing multiple lineups and you like the Colts as much as we do you can 
vary how you're building your cult stacks. So you go with like a Rivers, TY, even like a Marlon Mack. Like who's to say Marlon Mack just doesn't end yeah. up with a starting job all year if, if something happens to Taylor. You can get him super late right now. So um, that's what I've been doing. I've been building like Rivers, Pittman, Paris Campbell stacks in case something happens to Hilton because I really like this offense. They had the easiest schedule in the NFL. Yeah. Be, playing behind the best offensive line in the NFL. They're going to score points. You just, you don't know yet where it's going to come from. But the good thing is like you can get all these guys for like next to zero yep. capital. So just stack them at the end of your draft and kind of fill out your roster with them with the studs that you're taking early on. Guys that are going ahead of T.Y. Hilton and don't get me wrong. These are all guys that I, I am okay with, but I'm just, you know, Robert Woods, DK Metcalf, Terry McLaurin, Cortland Sutton, DJ Chark, Keenan Allen, like all these guys going ahead of T.Y. Hilton. And they're all fine in their own right. But I mean, you're basically able to go and get T.Y. Hilton after all those guys are coming off the board, where in my opinion, T.Y. Hilton is going into this season definitely on par with any of those guys I just mentioned. And I probably prefer him over all of them as well. He's one of the most underrated receivers coming into the year, just because of the injury concern, the age concern, but the guy he's Mr. Spike week. He has monster weeks that can win you a week. So you, I think you, if if you like the Colts, you have to have some exposure to TY. I wish he was a little better at avoiding contact. He kind of embraces contact, which worries me, (laughs) but that's why I'm going with guys like Pittman and Paris Mm -hmm. Campbell later on it on other teams just in case that happens. So talk about your boy, Josh Allen here. I am higher on him. I think you are as well. And listen, we're not talking about necessarily he's going to lead him to the Super Bowl. That's not what we're worried about here. We're not worried about that in fantasy football. We are worried about numbers. We are worried about stats. We are worried about putting up points. And Josh Allen just does that. Yeah, rushing yards, rushing touchdowns. Uh, Is he a a good quarterback? To be determined. I don't know. He's not very good right now, but is he a good fantasy quarterback? He's awesome. Mm-hmm. And f- I think people are finally coming around to that, that you don't have to be a good passer to be a good fantasy quarterback. And Allen is, I mean, around the goal line, he might be the guy that he mm-hmm. might be the, the Cam Newton. I mean, you can, that, that comp has been around for years, but like he could just be the goal line back for the bills this year. And he has scored a bunch of touchdowns on the ground before. So, He's a guy that I don't think you need to stack just because he does so much with his legs, yeah. but I do like the value you can get on Stefan Diggs right now because the, of the stink of Josh Allen, that people are yep. afraid to take Stefan Diggs. So you can get him kind of late right now too. So that's a stack that I have quite a bit of already is Allen and Stefan Diggs. So like we said, you know, Mahomes is coming off the board. Lamar's coming off the board. Dak Prescott's coming off the board. Deshaun Watson, Russell Wilson, Kyler Murray. So these guys are all coming off the board. So the half of your league has kind of already taken quarterbacks when it comes to that point. If you're waiting, you're going to see there are going to be leagues where Carson Wentz goes ahead of Josh Allen. There are going to be leagues where you're going to see Matt Ryan go ahead of Josh Allen as well. So there are take advantage of that situation, being able to get Josh Allen way down in the 80s and 90s in some of these drafts. um, I'm very, very comfortable taking him in that spot and having him be the first quarterback in on my roster. Well, he gives you a nice floor too uh, because mm-hmm. of his rushing. So, I mean, you get the floor with the ceiling if he does hit Diggs or Brown for a long pass. I mean, he he's just such a good fantasy quarterback. I, I, I like having, I don't want a lot of exposure because I do like to spend down at quarterback yep. and, and wait. But if, if he's there where I'm comfortable taking him, I'm going to take him every time. 
Uh, Jalen Rager, another guy here. If you take a look at this Eagles wide receiving core last year, completely decimated. They were literally hot dog vendors were lining up a wide receiver for this Eagles team. Now you have an opt out with them with Marquise Goodwin already. So here you go. Rager is going to start from day one. He is going to be a big part of this offense here. And Brett, like it might not pay dividends in weeks one, two or three or something like that, but you're not having to pay a big price to get Rager on your lineup. Anyway, he's really, really late coming off the board. And so as this guy works his way into this offense, um, down the stretch where you could really use the spike weeks and really use the production out of him, I think is where you're going to be able to to really utilize having him in as part of your you know eight or nine wide receivers that you're drafting. Yeah, there you know some of these rookie wide receivers landed in spots where you're like, eh, I don't see him producing right away. Even like a CD Lamb in Dallas, mm-hmm. I don't know what he's going to look like. Jerry Judy is kind of in a crowded situation in Denver. Um, Jalen Rager has the. I mean, he could slide in and be the number one guy right away. Yeah, right. He's probably the most talented wide receiver on this team right now. So I, I could definitely see him uh, producing within the first four weeks. And we know Carson Wentz loves to chuck it downfield, and that's where Rager is going to eat. So, I, yeah, I think he's being underdrafted right now. I have I don't have a lot of him. Um, there's another rookie wide receiver I prefer in that, in that price range, but I, I can definitely get behind Jalen Rager. Yeah, if you take a look, guys – Coming off the board in the 130s, 140s is Rager. This is like, again, a guy, as Brett just said, could literally be the best wide receiver on the team from day one. So he's probably a a top 100 player. So he's, yeah, he's being drafted way too late. I think he's, yeah, three rounds. I think he's being drafted too late. So I would be willing to step up and take him. Uh, earlier than other people out there for sure. And then we just talked about those stacks that we like. And DJ Moore is another one of those guys that I'm willing to step up and take before other people. Brett, we're talking about a big upgrade at quarterback with Teddy Bridgewater coming in. And the other upgrade here is much to my dismay, much to my heartbreak that Joe Brady leaves Hmm. the LSU fighting Tigers and heads over and is now the passing game coordinator over there in, uh, in Carolina. And, and listen, This guy, you saw what he did with the LSU offense last year. It's the NFL. I understand he's not going to be able to just completely out-scheme all of these players and all these defenses and whatnot, but I think that this Panthers offense is going to look much, much different. I think that there are going to be a lot of pass attempts in this offense, and DJ Moore was pretty productive last season, even with that train wreck that was going on over there last year. Step in Teddy Bridgewater, a fairly conservative, accurate dude, and you're able to have DJ Moore run more precise routes and some things that are really, really designed to highlight his skill set, what Brady brings to the table here. Uh, Love these Panthers receivers. Yeah, DJ Moore is a stud, and he's going to get all the opportunity this year because this is a this is a Carolina defense that's probably the worst in the NFL. The secondary is a train wreck, mm-hmm. so they're going to be playing from behind a lot, and I can see them getting in a lot of shootouts, which is weird to say because we haven't seen that a lot from the yeah. Panthers. But I'm fine with Bridge, Bridgewater. I think he's a great play in these in these best balls if you can pair him with uh, DJ Moore. McCaffrey even I like Robbie Anderson a little bit too yeah. in that offense I can yeah. see him him going off a few weeks so I mean that's I'm with you I like the Panthers a lot and DJ Moore really is uh, outside of CMC obviously but if you can't get the first pick I like a Panther stack with DJ Moore 
So let's talk guys we dislike, guys we're fading, whatever it might be. I mean, I know a lot of people want to hear who we do like as opposed to who we don't like, but I think there's some nuggets here, at least from my end. And then I like that you disagree with me here on one of the other players. Uh, Chris Carson, a guy I'm having pretty much no exposure to. I don't like that whole situation. They brought in Carlos Hyde, who we know has been a fantasy vulture for the last 25 years, it seems like. I mean, the guy just continues to sign with teams and steal fantasy touches and touchdowns and yardage and everything else. And they still have Travis Homer in that offense. Um, Yeah. For me, Chris Carson's a guy I'm pretty much having no exposure to at all, but this guy is uh, one that I think we see, do not see eye to eye on here. And that's Nick Chubb. Uh, For me, I don't like paying the price at the end of the first round for a guy that I think might only be on the field for half the time. I think Kareem Hunt is really going to dig into a lot of snaps and to a lot of that third down work as well. So he's going to get all the pass catching, all the passing yards as well there. Um, Dontrell Hilliard is a guy that they like to get on the field sometimes as well on third down. So I don't know, man. Nick Chubb, just for me, the price is too high. I get it. Uh, and I'm a Kareem Hunt guy. I love Kareem Hunt. I think he's tremendous. Um, and I can, mm-hmm. he, will, he will eat into Nick Chubb's production. There's no question. Uh, but for me, like Nick Chubb, if Kareem Hunt wasn't there, would be a top five running back. So I'm willing to pay a low round one price for him or early second round price for him uh, because it's, it's dropped just because mm-hmm. of the narrative of Kareem Hunt taking over some of his role. So, I mean, I'm still getting a player who can break off a long run. He's got track speed. He can win a week for you on one play. I mean, the guy just, he does it every single year, multiple times, like the 50, 60, 70 yard touchdown run. So I I love, I love having a guy like that who can just outrun everybody uh, once he gets an open space. And he's going to get enough touches for me to where I feel comfortable with his floor and I just, I want as much exposure to the Browns offense this year as mm-hmm. possible. I cannot even tell you how much Browns I have so far this year. Baker, Odell, Nick Chubb stacks, like Chubb, Landry, Baker stacks. I have all the Browns. So really Chubb is the the anchor of that for me. And I have, I have a lot of them. Another guy that we do agree on, though, is DeAndre Hopkins. And we are not talking about the talent of DeAndre Hopkins. The guy is phenomenal. He is unbelievable. One of the most fun guys to watch in all of the NFL. But there are a lot of mouths to feed there in Arizona. No team runs more four wide receiver sets than Arizona does. Kyler Murray, uh, Kyler Murray actually in his rookie season looked like a pretty competent quarterback is probably going to take a decent little step here in year two. I think he knows well enough to not force the ball to D-Hop just because D-Hop is on the field. He still has some really good, talented dudes that are going to be out there on the field and D hop with all of that pressure taken off him doesn't have to be the guy. They don't have to force targets his way. And so the price you have to pay, we're not talking talent. We think he's amazing, but the price you have to pay. I do not think the production is going to equal up to the price you have to pay. Yeah. I'm with you. I don't think he's even worth a second round pick at this point. Mm-hmm. I, I like it. I actually think this is a, a downgrade a quarterback for him, not because of the talent, but just because he's not the guy anymore. And you got a quarterback yeah. who loves to just take off and run the football. Like Watson did that too, but like Murray is, is a runner. Like that's, yeah. he's just, he's just going to do that. And so I, yeah, I'm with you. I don't think Hopkins is going to be able to, to reach the production he's done with Watson. And I, I don't think 
I don't. I can't see ego being a thing with him either because Larry Fitzgerald is there. Like I, I don't think That's he's going right? to be. Yeah, it's I think like, he's going to be okay with whatever whatever volume he gets because he's got like the goat. He's playing next to the mm-hmm. goat. So I think I think I think Larry will humble him a little bit. So. I can't see them forcing balls to D hop this year, and that's going to hurt his fantasy production. It is. I mean, you know that Larry Fitzgerald's going to get his five or six targets a game. You, if Christian Kirk is healthy, you know he's going yeah. to get his five, six targets a game. Andy Isabella is probably going to be on the field. He'll get two or three. I mean, it's just it's just the way that it goes. You know, I mean, it's it's just the way that that team is going to operate. So I'm with you there. We talked a little bit about how we like to go by quarterbacks. That just means. We're not really ending up with Lamar or uh, Patrick Mahomes very often. And in my case, actually, the answer is zero. I have zero shares of Mahomes and Lamar because I'm not willing to pay a first round or a second round pick for those guys. And in a lot of these drafts, they are going way too high, in my opinion. Um, The opportunity cost is just too high because you can load in like we're talking about the stud running backs where the scarcity is just much, much higher than it is at the quarterback position. So I don't know about you, Brad. I have zero shares of Mahomes and Lamar. Same. The only way I could see myself landing on Mahomes is if I did do something where I wanted a chief stack and and do the like the Edwards, Alaire, Kelsey at the bottom of the first round, top of the second, and then try and get Mahomes in the third. But I might try that once, but I'm just, yeah, uh, yeah it's, it, that's, it, you have to pay so much for a chief stack. I'm just not really willing to do it. And Lamar, I, th- I see some regression. I think teams are going to mm-hmm. adapt to him this year. So I can't see him putting up the numbers and that's the price you're paying for. You're paying for last year's Lamar numbers. If you want him this early. The uh, another, another guy I'm, I'm kind of fading here, Allen Robinson, that quarterback situation in Chicago for me, there's nothing I want to be a part of. I think he's a talented dude, but I just don't know how many opportunities he's going to get. I mean, you, you, it doesn't matter how many targets you get if they're 12 feet over your head or thrown into the ground and like off target and all the stuff like that. And um, again, the price you have to pay, we're not talking about talent for a lot of these guys. We're talking about where you have to get them in drafts and the production that we expect from them. Uh, it's just too high for me for, for Allen Robinson. I yeah I I want to like him but he's in the same price range as OBJ and DJ Moore yep. who we love and Juju I mean I, I kind of like a Juju redemption this year too so I would rather have those guys than Allen Robinson at this price absolutely um, and the last thing here we talked about the tight ends for me I'm really never getting that second tier of tight end if I don't get one of the big two in Kelsey or Kittle I'm pretty much going to wait I'll take three tight ends in the draft I'm going to just hope that one of the three hits every week but where Ertz and Andrews are going and and even Ingram for me are guys that it's just a little too much for me to pay. I would rather use that real estate in the draft to add a really solid receiver or a running back that I'm still pretty confident in where these guys are going. I'm just not ending up with any of those second tier tight ends, man. It's like, it's either the top of the top for me, or I'll just wait and I'll throw three tight ends in, in there. And hopefully one of those guys has a good week, uh, week to week. Yes, yeah, same. I have zero Andrews. I have zero Ertz. The one guy I do like is is Ingram, but I have been able to get him in like the seventh round, sometimes yeah, even that's the eighth great. round. Yeah. So yeah. I'm willing to pay that price for a guy who at his peak is a top three tight end. He's got he's just he's a wide receiver in that body. So I, I'm willing to pay for that. I think I, Giants are kind of an, inter- an interesting stack uh, this year, too. So I, I do have quite a bit of, Ing- of Ingram. A Waller, I think, kind of fits into that region as well i have some of him but outside of that if you're not getting the top two guys i I like 
some darts uh, yeah. near the bottom. And let's end things with some guys that some of the later round guys that I think that we're, we're looking into and that we're kind of getting shares of here. And I'll start, I mean, you know, I am, I'm pretty bearish on the 49ers team as a whole, but I love opportunity and I love opportunity in fantasy. And Brandon Ayuk is stepping into a really good situation here. Emmanuel Sanders is out of town. Debo Samuel is hurt and is likely to miss several games to begin the season. Ayuk is going to step right in and he's going to have to produce Brett. I mean, like there's going to be no choice or this offense is not going to work. So, I mean, like he is going to have to be a contributor to this offense and he is going way later than a a receiver who is going to start in what we consider to be likely a pretty decent offense, you know, at least in most people's perception, uh, he's going way later than he should. Ayuk is the guy that I don't, I don't, I haven't watched enough tape. When I watched ASU tape the last two years, I was watching Nikhil Harry. Like, AU yeah. was never really on my radar. So I don't know enough about this kid, but a lot of smart people love him. And it's a Kyle Shanahan offense. He might just eat uh, while Debo is down, down. He's a guy who could actually, like, help you early in the season, which yeah. rookies don't tend to do. So it's a, it's a, it's a weird weird dynamic with Brandon Ayuk this year, but yeah, he's going way later than he should right now. He's going in the one sixties, dude. He is going in the one sixties. Yeah. And like, this is like, it's kind of like we were talking about with Rager. Like he, he might be a top 100 guy just for the opportunity that is like, that is being presented for him. So again, uh, a guy that maybe you want to target for a little bit later, a guy here, a secondary receiver, for Aaron Rodgers, Brett is always going to entice me. So give me some Alizard. Um, look, he's starting. Aaron Rodgers is throwing him the ball. Aaron Rodgers has made terrible receivers put up good fantasy numbers for the last several years because they refuse to get him a true number two. And I think that this is just one of those opportunities where I'm going to say, hey, look, the price is too good on a dude that's going to get a lot of balls thrown his way. Yeah, Rogers likes them. They have chemistry. I could see I'll, I could see several spike weeks for for Lazard as a guy mm-hmm. who can contribute to your team during the season and well into like the playoff rounds. So I yeah, I'm with you. I think he's going he's going way too late right now, and that's probably going to adjust uh, as mm-hmm. we as we get closer to the season. But um, now that you know now that Funches is out of the picture, uh, Lazard or Lazard is is clearly the, n- the number two option in that offense. So tell us about we 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 talked. I gave my love for T.Y. Hilton. So I'm going to let you take our love for the rest of that offense here, because there are two other guys that you can get late, late, late in drafts that we are actually pretty high on because we feel like the upside is massive. Yeah, I'm just trying to get as many pieces of this Colts offense in as many ways as possible. And you can get them so late. We talked about Michael Pittman. We talked about uh, Paris Campbell as two guys who you can grab basically for free at the end of drafts and they're right near each other uh, in the ADP. So, I mean, if you, if you draft Phillip rivers, I mean, I think rivers is right in there too. I mean, the three guys mm-hmm. you can just kind of stack together at the end of your draft to fill out your roster. And all of a sudden now you've got a built in stack that who knows, like they cost they, you nothing. They cost you nothing. And I, yeah. like I said, the easiest schedule 
in the NFL this year and Rivers playing behind that offensive line is it's pretty sexy. Uh, if something does happen to T.Y., those are your contributors. We saw what happened in that offense when when T.Y. went down last year. You got Zach Pascal suddenly as a contributor mm-hmm. in best ball teams if they well probably didn't draft Zach Pascal in, in best ball teams. But a guy who was a contributor in mm-hmm. fantasy last year all of a sudden. So, I mean, that, that could be the Michael Pittman or Paris Campbell this year. And um, that's the guy. Those are the guys I want. Uh, late in drafts, so yeah, I, I'm I'm all about those two. Late uh, in my best ball drafts with Philip Rivers is kind of a unique stack that I don't think anybody really is going to have. And finally, let's talk about whenever we're building these three quarterback teams here, what we do like in these quarterbacks is volume. That's why we're drawn to Teddy Bridgewater because we think that that Panthers team could be bad and they're going to be throwing a ton. Of course, the addition of Brady is also a really good thing for that passing offense as well. Call me a homer, but Joe Burrow here is another guy that I'm kind of rounding out my quarterback drafts with. If you take a look at this team, still likely because the defense is pretty beaten up, still likely to be down in a lot of games. There's going to be volume there. And then let me read you off, by the way, who this guy is going to be throwing to. Remember A.J. Green? Yeah, he didn't play all last year, but A.J. Green is going to be back. Tyler Boyd. T. Higgins, who they drafted. John Ross is still there. Joe Mixon is still there. The weapons that Joe Burrow has in that Bengals offense, Brett, is unbelievable. And if there's going to be volume, if there's going to be games where they're down two and three scores and he's throwing the ball 45, 50 times, those are going to be fantasy gold weeks for us. And we are going to love the fact that we took Joe Burrow very late in our best ball drafts. Yeah, and I don't know what's happened so far, but I have zero Joe Burrow exposure. That needs to change because I'm with you. I like I like Burrow and that offense this year because I think they're going to be playing from behind a lot, and there's a lot of firepower there. So I think that's a, a really fun stack if you want to go that route with like a Mixon, Burrow, I don't know, Boyd or John John Ross maybe. Like there's just so yeah. many so many guys who could have spike weeks in that offense. So, uh, yeah, I, I definitely, in my next round of, of best balls, I need to get some Joe, um, some yeah, Joe Burrow with like a Joe Mixon. Cause I just, I, I don't have any unfortunately. guys that are going ahead of Joe Burrow, you know, Tannehill is going at him. Jared Goff is going ahead of him. Ben Roethlisberger is going ahead of him. And, you know, there's question marks around all of those guys. So Burrow falling to you in that spot after someone wants to choose to take, you know, Ben Roethlisberger after he says he's coming back from three torn ligaments in his arm or taking Ryan Tannehill in a run-heavy offense. Like, you know, by all means, draft those guys and let Joe Burrow fall to me. Definitely. I'm with you. Thanks for sticking around. If you guys listen to that best ball preview, hopefully you can take some of that and turn that into some cash. Hopefully you can turn that into a million dollars. Well, Brett, actually, maybe you can turn it into like six figures because I want to win the million. So I actually I'm not I, uh, if you and I don't win the million, hopefully one of the listeners does win a million. And hopefully the 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 guidance and advice we gave on the podcast helped them win a million dollars as well. Yes, I am. uh, I'm good with that. And I will be, listen, if you do win a million at the end of the season, because of anything you heard on the pod, please let us know. And uh, we do accept uh, tips. Yeah, my my Venmo is. uh, (laughs) Yeah, anything like that. Uh, To close things off here, uh, you know, sometimes we do talk opinion stuff when it comes to sports betting market here. And this is one of those times. 
Brett, another palp, if you guys don't know what that is, an error in the sports betting world has uh, crept up yet again here. And man, I just, uh, my patience is wearing thin. Yeah, we've got another situation here with FanDuel. Uh, Betters in New Jersey and Indiana spotted a weird line in an MLS game. Apparently Cincinnati, I didn't even know Cincinnati had a soccer team, but Cincinnati was plus five at minus 134 odds in a game, which in soccer, plus five, it was an alternate line, I believe, and at minus 134, like, that just has to be wrong. If a team is ever plus five in soccer at close to even odds, <laughs> just blow that team up. So from the story that I read on ESPN, the betters, one of the betters, or a few of the betters placed the bet in person and the bet was approved. It was a big bet. It was a four-figure bet approved by someone at the book. And I think... I think FanDuel has close to 200,000 in liability now because some some guys hit parlays. They threw this thing into parlays. Like one of them hit for $60,000. So we've got a bit of a mess here that is now in the hands of the New Jersey Division of Gaming Enforcement. They are reviewing the situation where FanDuel doesn't want to pay out bettors who got this absurd MLS line, even though it sounds like they approved some of these bets in person herein lies my my problem with this is so it's an error brett but it's an error that can only favor the sports book because and granted yeah i mean like a a a line of five in a soccer game is is like literally probably never gonna 90 percent chance of hitting like you're never gonna lose but um let's just assume that that does lose Mm -hmm. it's a it's it's a win-win for the sports book if we yeah. continue to let these people off the hook whenever they make a mistake. Because if the better loses that bet, do you think they're going to refund that guy? Zero chance they're going to refund that guy. It is never going to happen in a million years. However, he wins the bet and they come back and say, uh, never, no, we error, we can't pay, we can't pay. At some point, there has to be liability on the book to make sure that they are putting out accurate information, accurate lines and accepting bets that they're willing to pay out. Because if it is all in favor of the book here, then that is just, in my opinion, extremely, extremely wrong and a bad policy. Yeah. At some point the book has to take responsibility for this. Like protective measures need to be in place to ensure that you're offering a fair and safe betting environment for consumers. Yes. Errors are going to happen, but the last thing you want, like you said, is for the books to keep free rolling betters in cases like this, where if the bet loses, Fandle just scoops the money without looking into it further. I mean, it's it's like you said, it's win win for them. They have to catch these errors immediately to avoid situations like this. I don't know how this bet gets approved by somebody in like a management role in one of these books. How do you look at that line and be like, oh yeah, that looks right? I know that's that's crazy. And the the better it's been you know it's been a it's been a few weeks now so this is you know still out there and has not been they've not been a resolution to this yet here and you know look i i understand it's a slippery slope for the books brad i mean you know you know shit does happen i i get Uh it like i understand that things go wrong but there has to be i don't know there has to be maybe even some sort of 
maybe a new rule where on these palps or something like that, they're still on the hook for a percentage of it or something, right? To where they can't just wipe their hands clean. There has to be a penalty for these books when they do something like this, or there's like, what's the incentive for them to get better? What's the incentive for them to try and and really, really clamp down and not make these type of mistakes if they know whenever something like this happens, they're able to just uh, wipe their hands of it? Yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's, if it's an in-game line and there's, you know, the algorithm spits out a bad line, that's one thing. But if this, this one was placed in person before the game starts, gets approval from a supervisor, then you've got a problem. I think you're just shit out of luck if you're the operator there. Like you have, yeah. what do they have to do here? I'm with you. I'm with you. I just, it, 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 it aggravated me when I read it and it continues to aggravate me because, and again, this just isn't, this isn't the first time, right? Like this is, this is why I believe there has to be a deterrent for these books or they're just like, what in the, why would you ever try to be better? Because if you know that you can just walk away, then there's no reason to try and be better. And like, that's all we keep asking from these legal sports books here in the United States. Brett, you and I have screamed this, from a mountaintop, all we ask is just be better, do yeah. better, try harder, because we are trying to move this into a legal environment inside the United States where jobs are being created and taxes are being collected and different th- and and not only that, moving people out of the black market where their money might not end up back in their accounts or different things could happen. They're getting uh, getting them off of their bookies and things like that, but you hear stories like this and you just understand that you get the negative press. You understand why people still say, man, these, these legal books in the United States still don't have it together yet. Yeah. These are getting mainstream coverage too. I mean, the, the remember the one with the, the Broncos from yeah. what, two or three years ago that went, that was huge. And like, here again, you find this on ESPN and it's people, key decision makers in States around the country are seeing this and it, the, the guy, people who don't really know much about sports betting, but they see something like this and it's going to affect their decision-making when exactly. it comes to bills and that kind of thing. So you gotta, yeah, you gotta do better. I mean, this stuff can't happen. Um, so yeah, we'll see how this plays out. Guys, as always head over to the lines.com. We have written breakdowns of basically everything that is going on in the sports world out there continuing on with NFL previews, looking into NBA, looking into NHL, looking into Major League Baseball. So we definitely have all of that with our golf coverage as well. Mm -hmm. If you did stick around, like we said, we are doing a bunch of video content over on the YouTube page. That is just backslash play picks. Our uh, our sister site has the namesake on our YouTube channel over there, but uh, backslash play picks over at YouTube. So be sure and subscribe there so you can get all of those shot right to you as soon as they go live. And we're going to be having a ton of NFL content here in the coming weeks as things start to shake out a little bit. We're going to wait till all the opt-outs. We're going to wait till all that. We don't want to put out stale content just yet, but uh, we're going to wait for for that deadline to pass. And then once that hits, you are going to be flooded and onslaughted with all kinds of content over there. So be sure and take a look at uh, at that as well. At the Lines US, at PlayPix US, at Matt Brown M2, and at Brett Colson. For Brett, I'm Matt. Talk to you guys next week.